You're listening to the Flying Goat Farm Podcast with your host, Lisa Check. This podcast is for people who love yarn and fiber and sheep, who love to knit and crochet and maybe even felt. We will be talking about the crossroads between keeping sheep and goats, making yarn, and expressing your colorful self. For tuning in to the Flying Goat Farm Podcast. Today, I'm going to be talking about farm yarns my way. So here's what's happening on the farm. It is mid-July and we are in the heat of summer. Um, There's a really nice breeze going and so it's not too high of humidity. Um, It will be pretty hot this weekend, um, but everybody's doing fine. The sheep and goats go out to eat in the evening and in the morning and then in the heat of the day, they hang out by the the fans in the barn and have a really nice afternoon. So I started out by telling you about how I started out in the fiber farm business, a hobby that became a business. And I told you about what it takes to make a good farm yarn. We've talked about different wool breeds and what the good purposes for those are. And I've talked to you about substituting Um, how to substitute farm yarn for commercial yarn and patterns. But I thought I'd give you a little background on how, um, what the journey has been for us to really start to make farm yarn. So I started spinning in 1992 after I won a spinning wheel. Uh, I swore I was never going to spin, but I won the wheel. So I had to learn how to do it. And at that time, I only spun commercially prepared fibers, mostly cotton, but some wool and some alpaca. I had never cleaned a fleece. I had never prepared a fleece. I had never bought an entire fleece myself either. So when we first started out here, my my idea was to clean and process all the mohair myself. It was just two animals. How hard could it be? I bought hand carters and I bought flickers to kind of open up the fibers so that they would be easy to, to put through a drum carter. Um, I finally bought a triple picker just to make the process go easier, but the fleeces were piling up and I just didn't have the skills to keep up with them with all the fleeces that were growing and growing. And I really needed help. I also realized that I didn't really like that, the whole process of that, and it wasn't getting me what I wanted to be doing in life. So I decided to go to the next the next step, which was to send my mills, my fleeces to a mill to get clean and made into roving. And then I could spin it, right? Sure. And that helped and that worked. But still, mohair fleece grows an inch, an inch a month. And by that time, I think I had like six or eight animals. So it was really starting to pile up. And now what was I going to do with all this roving? Um, I did try to give some away. I tried, started to sell my roving, but I still, it was piling up more and more and more. So the next big step for me was to trust the mills to make a yarn out of those fleeces and out of that roving that they made. And at first I was trying to save money and I really didn't have a plan. And so I thought, well, I'll send all these fleeces and I'll have them make singles. And 
out of the singles, I'll have them do half of it into a two ply because I was trying to save money. And every time the mill touches the another, you know, does another new process for you, it costs extra money. Um, but the two ply that the guy got sent back, it was pretty overspun, not very pleasant, even though they were good fleeces, they were yearling fleeces. My animals were young at the time. But when things are overspun, that means that they're itchy. And itchy means that they're not sellable. Um, I turned the singles into tapestry yarn and dyed them into gradients. But um, there isn't a really big weaving market. And so that wasn't that also wasn't a great choice for me. Um, I used some people bought those the um, tapestry yarn to make doll clothes like doll sweaters and things like that. And I use them as booth decoration. But now what do I do? Because this still wasn't a product that people would buy and that people were excited about. So enter the sheep, because I realized that I needed something to add to the mohair, and I knew that I didn't want to have alpaca animals. And we had gone to investigate cashmere goats um, and realized that that wasn't going to be feasible for us either, because cashmere goats need to be brushed out at a certain time. It takes a, it takes a lot of um, hands-on and a lot of extra time, and we were both working day jobs at the time. So we landed on the idea of fine wool sheep. And so now I sort of knew how to process mohair. I kind of knew how to get things from the animal to a yarn. But now I had to learn about the wool processing. And again, because I'm a DIY kind of a person, I started out on my own. But fine wool has a lot of lanolin in it, and it's really, really hard to get clean. Um, I tried and tried, and I was having a really hard time getting all that lanolin out. So again, I turned to a mill to clean and process the wool. And I've talked about this before, but when fine wools are run through a carding process, then noils develop little teeny like little balls of um, fibers that aren't able to, um, you can't really do anything with them. And they need to be combed out of the roving. And I have to admit that once that I found a really nice Corma mohair yarn and the this other farm was buying my mohair and making it into yarn with Cormos and I had Cormos too. And so I copied it. And what I mean by that is I took my fleeces to the same mill. I sent a sample of their yarn and said I wanted to match this. And people do that all the time. I have to admit it's there isn't really a copyright on a yarn design like that. Um, and it turned out great. It turned out beautiful. Um, it just, it flew off the shelves. It was, uh, really great to use. It took color really nicely. And so the next year I was really excited. Um, and I had my whole clip and I also was gifted, um, more Cormo fleeces by someone who's going out of business. And so I had about a hundred pounds of this Cormo, um, and I sent it to the same mill with the same sample and it came back ruined, totally ruined. And it was heartbreaking. And I was so mad. I was livid. Um, now, by now, I knew a lot more about yarn and not a lot more about um, classing. And I not, knew what Goodwill was and I knew what Badwill was. And this mill said 
that the reason that this yarn came out so poorly was that my fleeces were full of second cuts. Um, and I knew that that was not the case. I knew that that was not right. And I knew that my fleeces were strong and they shouldn't have been broken like that. So this yarn, it came back nubby and it was a two ply and it came back um, like it didn't have any strength to it. So it's not like I could sell it to a weaver to put it into a warp. It wouldn't hold a warp. Um, so no one would ever confirm this with me with the mill, but the original mill operators were out of town for their um, son's wedding. And so I feel like there must have been somebody else working the equipment and whoever it was neglected to put my um, the cormo through the car, uh, the combs that I feel like this yarn still has all the noils in it. And that's why there was a problem with it. Um, and again, so here's, I, so I got 70 pounds back and it's kind of, it's, it's unsellable. I mean, it's nice to use what I have ended up doing with it is I can knit with it. I knit a little bit bigger of an item that I want. And then I put it in the washer and dryer and all those noils like get sucked back into the yarn and it make, has a beautiful hand it's, and it makes it really nice. But how do you tell somebody that that's what they need to do to market it? You know, it's like, oh my gosh. Um, thankfully, I didn't pay for the whole process. Um, I refused to pay for anything more than cleaning the wool. That's all I had put into it. And I refused to pay. <clears throat> and they never came after me because I think they knew that they had made a mistake as well. So in the meantime, there's a lot of new small mills that are opening um, all around in our area. And I have tried them all. Well, I think I've tried most of them. And what I found is that, mill, you know, the mill owners, they want work. They want they want money. They want to um, hone their craft, but they don't always know what they're doing. Um, so they will tell you that they could do fine wool when, in fact, they really can't, but they didn't know that they couldn't. And so you end up with a bad product again. So I've been deeply dissatisfied time after time. Even now, I try to give work to some small mills and I still kick myself because it's like, why did I do that? Um, they still, you know, they ruined this. Hot. Now, what am I going to do with it? So now... I have a process that works for me. I have a process that makes really nice yarn because I figured out how to use the best of the mills that are available to me. So I use a big mill to wash and card and comb my fleeces because the small mills don't have the combing capability. So I use that big, that big mill to wash and card and comb and it comes back as comb top. Then I take that comb top to another mill to spin because they make a better spun yarn. Um, the, the big mill, they overspin everything. The smaller mill, they understand what it takes to make a really nice yarn with their equipment. And so um, they make beautiful singles. They make beautiful plies. And I get consistently good yarn that way. So here's my advice to people who are new fiber farmers and you just you need to ask a lot of questions of the mills and you need to look at their work. You need to ask them for references. Don't just go up to a, to some, someone like me and say, what mill do you use? I mean, that's usually the first um, 
sentence out of somebody's mouth. What mill do you use? It's like, I'm not going to tell you. Um, but you need to look at the mill's work that you want to check out. You need to ask them for references, then call those people and find out, you know, what kind of fleeces did you have? How long was the staple length? And are you happy with the product that you got? And maybe even go over there and look at the products that, that they got. You need to find out from the mills if they have a preferred breed or a preferred wool class. You need to find out what staple length do they need and what is too short for them to use and what is too long for them to use. And um, and as a, as a knitter asking a farm fiber farmer about far, their farm yarns, you know, find out well. Uh, you know, what processes do you use to have this made into to yarn? You know, do you, is this um, made in the state? Is it local to me? Um, finding out all those things is important. Um, so I can tell you about my, our farm yarns, Flango Farm Farm Yarns. Um, so my farm yarns and the spinning fibers, they are the output of the farm. That is my harvest. And the sales of my harvest is what feeds and provides for my animals. The sales of the harvest also pays for the processing and dyeing and marketing of the yarn and the fibers. My farm yarns are entirely U.S. made and mostly local and um, all of them east of the Mississippi, but mostly local. Um, sales of my harvest pay living wages for those who are working the yarn from farm to needle. And you can check out our farm yarns on our website, flyinggoatfarm.com. So we have Lively, which is our straight um, Cormo yarn. It's um, a heavy DK light worsted, three ply. Tresna is from our um, Cormo crosses with BFL. It has a little bit more luster. It's a little bit thinner. So it's more of a DK, like a heavy sport light DK. We have Synergy, that is um, merinos that are, um, it's merino fleeces that have been dyed first and then spun, and so they have a marl texture. We have Fingal, which is straight BFL, and some of the some of the Fingal that we have still has some mohair in it. And then I have my um, mohair yarns. We have Cacao, which is um, a really nice tan um, two-ply mohair yarn. We have Puck, which is a two-ply charcoal yarn made with, um, it's one-third BFL, one-third mohair, one-third alpaca. We have Yearling Mohair, which is, um, that's a fingering weight yarn that is um, oh, so nice and soft. We have Mopaca, which is um, a like a chocolatey brown and it's about half and half brown mohair and a brown alpaca. And we have stratus, which is a thick and thin um, charcoal, like a dark charcoal and a light charcoal. And I've um, over dyed some of those. They're really nice. And soon we're going to add three new bases. Um, we have a, we're, I'm adding a fingering weight made out of the Cormo a sport weight made out of the Cormo and a worsted weight that's made out of polypay. So I'm, my goal this year was to widen out my farm yarn line so that I had everything from fingering 
to bulky. I haven't quite gotten to the bulky yet, but I do have up to worsted. So I hope you'll go to the web website and take a look at those. I want to thank you for spending time with me today. If you have a question, I'd love for you to shoot me an email and I'll gladly do um, a question and answer podcast. And until then, have a great day. Well, that's this episode of the Flying Goat Farm podcast. If you enjoyed it, please consider leaving a review. Have a question you'd like me to answer? Send an email to goatherd at flyinggoatfarm.com. And to see our farm and yarn and roving, check out our website at flyinggoatfarm.com. Follow me at Flying Goat Farm on Facebook and Instagram, and I'm Goat Herd on Ravelry. Until next time, happy making.